Welcome back to Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch. I'm your host, Peter Schorsch. Um, this week, uh, we have a lot going on at the national level, but there was some news that broke early Friday morning uh, that was of interest to anyone that follows Florida politics, Jacksonville politics, the intersection of, of, of the influence world with uh, Florida politics. Um, Nate Monroe, the columnist and a, and a former reporter for the Jacksonville Times Union um, in a multi-outlet uh, story um, revealed that he had been under surveillance by a consulting group, a rogue consulting group that seems to have broken up um, under acrimony between the various partners, uh, but that it was, this firm had been hired previously by Florida Power and Light, the behemoth uh, publicly trade or public, uh, uh, excuse me, private uh, utility company that provides so much of the electricity to the state of Florida and one of the biggest political players in the state. Um, before the Roe v. Wade news bombshell came out at 10 a.m., this would have probably dominated um, at least the political news cycle in Florida. Um, so it may have been, you know, pushed to the inside pages a little bit, but I find it so frightening as a, I, I don't do any of the work that Nate does, um, that I wanted to talk with Nate, who has some really smart takes, not only on this, but Governor DeSantis, politics in Northeast Florida, et cetera. So good morning to my guest today, Nate Monroe. Nate, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. We had a good pod the last time you were on. Um, I was joking with you off offline. You provide good content, good mix of the political and the apolitical. Before we jump into what happened Friday, what you revealed, give listeners to this a, a thumbnail on the JEA scandal, so to speak, I guess up until the arrests of some of the CEOs involved there. So we know what the larger issue is here with what was going on in uh, Jacksonville. Yeah, sure. So um, the, so JEA is Jacksonville's uh, city-owned public uh, electric water and sewer utility. So it's one of the largest public utilities in the United States, public as opposed to a private utility, like a company uh, like Florida Power and Light, for example. Um, the, the topic of privatizing JEA has been sort of a third rail of Jacksonville politics for a long time. It comes up from time to time every you know decade. And uh, with Mayor Lenny Curry in office, uh, this idea picked up a lot of steam in his second term. Uh, he, I think it is fair to say that he orchestrated the appointment of a CEO named Aaron Zahn at JEA, who very quickly uh, went about the work of privatizing the utility. And he did it while kind of telling the public that that's not what he was doing. Um, and and that, that sort of uh, lack of transparency was something that was kind of the, the, the first scandal uh, around this entire sale effort. Uh, over time, uh, controversies just built all around this effort and culminated with revelations that the CEO had crafted a, a bonus scheme that, that could have paid out the top level executives at the utility, including himself, like millions and millions of dollars uh, if they had successfully sold this thing off. 
Um, so the, the sale effort gets canceled. Um, Florida Power and Light, in the course of this, uh, there was a formal competitive solicitation put out on the street and FPL ended up bidding uh, $11 billion, which was the top bid. And, and I think that, you know, it, it is fair to assume that just based on that number alone, uh, FPL probably would have been in the driver's seat on that. Uh, to orient people in, in time, th this that that saga I just described ran from roughly the end of 2018 to the very beginning of 2020, um, and that's where this this surveillance stuff um, kind of overlaps a lot of that. Explain or uh, give me a little um, insight into what was the Times Union's role in covering this? Because uh, obviously, you you all won some awards. You were up for some major awards. Um, tell me about the role. And, and I thought it was of particular note because obviously a lot of newspapers are getting cut back, et cetera. Uh, but it seemed like with a, a kind of a, a focused, smaller staff, the real opponents to this, to this move to privatize a public utility that didn't seem to need to be privatized, it would have maybe just been a um, I don't want to say it was a cash grab, but it would have basically injected the city coffers into with some money. And there's some upside to that. There would have been some investment, et cetera. Um, but what was, uh, talk to me about how the newsroom uh, covered this ongoing story. Yeah. I mean, we recognized early on that this was in, in motion. Um, I had some sources at JEA and at the city who I, I think we're able to put us onto this quite early. Um, and so the, the flavor of our coverage, a lot of it was, uh, you know, kind of a corrective to some of the stuff that was coming out of the utility. The, the CEO at JEA at the time was peddling this, this kind of black swan theory about public utilities and their future. And a lot of our coverage uh, centered on kind of pushing back on that. Um, he was, the utility was making financial projections in the boardroom that it was not making in its regulatory filings, in its presentations to Wall Street credit rating agencies. Um, so a lot of some of it was just just this, almost this kind of in the weeds um, pushback on on things like that. Uh, but there, I mean, there were like so we kind of blanket covered it and we covered it in real time, and it was something that was unfolding very quickly. And so it was kind of like putting out a lot of brush fires all at once. This, this wasn't a when people think about um, you know big journalism efforts, I think a lot of times they're thinking about projects where a team gets together and they plan a story out over the course of a year and they package something and they and they tell it. This was more something that was happening in real time. I mean, we were we were like constantly trying to stay ahead of uh, where this competitive bidding process was was going. We were trying to unravel a lot of really opaque like financial details. The CEO's contract had a lot of goofy stuff in it. The and at, you know over time, this incentive plan, this this bonus scheme was something we needed to connect the dots on as well, and so. Both during and then for a lot of it after, um, you know, it was a lot of public records requests, a lot of like going back and, and building the narrative about what actually had happened. Um, th there were questions about conflicts of interest among, you know, various consultants and lobbyists in the city. And that was something we connected a lot of dots on. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of a it was a little bit of a hectic effort and and 
yeah, something that that in in real time was was us trying to put out a lot of brush fires and, and explain to people a very quickly, very opaque process, quickly moving opaque process. But I mean, just to be clear, there isn't something necessarily scandalous about a about the um, privatization of the utility. I mean, if 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 um, the conflicts of interest had not existed and the Aaron Zahn uh, scheme to defraud had not existed, although it may not have been what some people have wanted, there wasn't. There's nothing inherently illicit about this transaction, correct? No, that's true. There's not. Um, okay. I would say that it is. It has historically been and was throughout this not a popular idea. Okay. Um, it is not something that that like when when like the University of North Florida polls this question, it, it pulls pretty terribly. Like there's not a huge appetite to privatize JEA. And I think there seems to the, be some civic pride, like from afar, there seemed to be some like civic pride, almost like a small town feel uh, uh, that this big public, you know, that, you know, listen, Duke, which provides our, com- our, our energy is based in North Carolina. Uh, there just seemed to be some sort of uh, civic pride that JEA was still kind of like a, a local entity or at least locally controlled. I think that's right. I mean, in practical terms, JEA employs 2000 people and mm-hmm. it's a it's a really good place to work. Uh, it's a place where uh, people with uh, without college degrees can still have a pretty decent paying job and have a good career. Uh, and there is a there is a culture in, in public power, uh, kind of a larger culture of public power. Where like a lot of these, you know, a lot of these people have worked at JEA for generations. And that was something that that Aaron's on a CEO and, and, and even the mayor just totally misunderstood. Um, so, yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Um, there is a JEA has been an entrenched part of the city for a long time. And uh, this this particular effort to sell JEA. I think they tried to do it quickly and they tried to do it very, very dishonestly. And, and so you're right in theory, privatizing JEA is not inherently like a corrupt idea. It just, it's, it needs to be handled carefully. All right. So anybody that wants to read more about this, it it is really a tale. I mean, it is a, it is a novel. I mean, it ends up with people being arrested, um, it is it's like a David Simon you know, screenplay uh, without the cop violence. Uh, check out Nate's Twitter feed. He's got, I think, pinned at the top, basically one of the stories that like sums it all up, sums up all the coverage. But fast forward to now, we're start now you're you're starting to because the um, there are legal proceedings, there are there are law enforcement investigations, et cetera. That then provides public documents. Um, and with that, we're starting to get even more of the details about what is going on, which brings us to Friday and is really what I want to talk about, a bombshell. I mean, just nothing short of a bombshell. Um, in your own words, tell us what happened. Sure. So uh, it might be easier to just like zoom out just for a, just for a moment, because this is a complicated story. Um, so while all of this JEA stuff is happening, very unbeknownst to anyone in the city um, and certainly myself, there is an Alabama political consulting firm called Matrix LLC. Um, Matrix is a notorious 
a very kind of infamous firm in Alabama politics. Uh, I would say that until the last, you know, eight months to a year, it had been very obscure in Florida. Um, so Matrix was a consulting firm that was employed by FPL. And uh, FPL has, has acknowledged that it did hire Matrix to work on some Jacksonville and JEA related projects. We don't really know the full scope of what that, that work was, uh, but we know that they did do some work. Um, we don't find out about this until last year. Uh, Matrix has a major rift in the firm. The owner and the CEO part ways. The CEO takes a few Matrix employees with him and they form a new company in Florida called Canopy Partners. Uh, the owner of Matrix claims after the CEO departed, he found a hard drive in the CEO's office that appeared to have been tampered with. Um, he hired some IT folks to examine this hard drive and they were able to pull tens of thousands of, of documents off this hard drive that described millions of dollars worth of work that the CEO and a few former employees were doing off the books for Florida Power and Light. Um, the owner of Matrix sued uh, his former CEO, the guy's name is Jeff Pitts. Uh, so Perkins and Pitts, in case this isn't like confusing enough, uh, Perkins, the owner, is suing Pitts um, and has laid out that story in a lawsuit. Uh, he uh, examined these records. He essentially conducted with the help of a law firm an internal investigation of his own firm to get to get a sense of all this off the books work. Uh, he compiles it into a report and he sends it to Nextera, Florida Power and Light's parent company. And this this investigative report essentially says, look, we believe that some of our employees went rogue and did work for your subsidiary, Florida Power and Light, that may run afoul of the law. Uh, hmm. And we are obligated to inform you of this. And so they, they sent next era this, this lengthy report. When is um, this, by the way? When, it, when did that part, uh, when that, did that, so that was happen? Yeah, so the report, I believe, was sent, man, uh, yeah, you're going to test on my memory. At some point in the middle of last year, I want to say, um, middle of last year, I could be, okay. I, I would, yeah, I wouldn't swear to that right now, but my, it's I after had a little the, bit swimming. It's well after the JEA sale yeah. collapses. Okay. Yes. So a, a good reference point, uh, FPL fired Matrix in uh, January of 21 uh, and Pitts and Perkins parted ways in December of 2020. So yeah, we're talking end of 2020, beginning of 2021 is when this rift started. Uh, he fires off this report to uh, Nextera's CEO last year. Um, and it, in short, uh, versions, re redacted versions of this report, of this investigative report, and the underlying records attached to this report get leaked anonymously to the Orlando Sentinel. And the Sentinel does uh, what, in, in my estimation, was, was like the best uh, journalism work in Florida last year, corroborating a lot of details in this record, piecing together what it said, uh, and uh, began writing about this, this ghost candidate scandal, um, several state Senate races in which spoiler candidates were propped up by mysterious advertising money. And, and what these records indicate is that a lot of this money appears to have come, originated with Florida Power and Light. Uh, 
Um, I should say the company denies any involvement in any of that. Uh, but that, that is a big topic of this investigative report is essentially saying, hey, these former Matrix employees helped set up these schemes to pay for advertising for spoiler candidates to ensure that Republicans retained control of the state Senate in the 2020 elections. And this is I, I want to jump in here. I'm not and we're not going to veer off into that today, but that is that is a massive scandal with massive repercussions, um, especially after this last session where the Florida Senate took probably its most right wing turn. Part of that is because of the numbers. I make the argument, um, you know, because of what happened in the uh, one of the Senate races, you get you lose Jose, Jose Javier Rodriguez and is replaced with Ileana Garcia um, because of what happened here. I think uh, you lose maybe one or two other races with that. Listen, the Republican control of the Senate was still not in doubt. But then you factor in like a Jeff Brandis and suddenly you're at 2119. And I know specifically, I think I think my sourcing in the Florida Senate is as strong as any reporters. I will say there were a lot of votes that had they been 2119, they would have then gotten to 2020 or 1921. And they wouldn't have even advanced things like the abortion bill uh, with no carve out for rape, et cetera. Um, and I think I mean, so. This is not just theoretical, oh, uh, the Cowboys lost to the 49ers because someone didn't call pass interference. Because of the majority that was built fraudulently, um, you have a lot of legislation that got put through that had not been put through before because of some of the people that were put in place. Uh, and I will say, I not to let them off the hook, I don't blame Ileana Garcia. I don't blame... Um, uh, Jason Brodor or any of the winners. I don't believe, and listen, I'm as conspiratorial as the next guy. I don't believe the candidates themselves were involved. I believe all of the other dark universe part of it, whether it be the political committees controlled by people that got involved, et cetera, the money, et cetera. I th those people are directly responsible. The candidates themselves are not, but the, the Frank Artillies of the world, et cetera. And I think we will begin to find even more of them. I will say the one thing I think, and not to pat myself on the back, is I've I've tried to lay up. I'm, I have none of the reporting chops that like a Jason Garcia has, but I will. I continue to try and like lay breadcrumbs connecting the dots between. Literally, there are connections here between the 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 scandals on these ghost candidates, with the Matt Gates investigation, with some of the lobbying influence. It is the same players, the Venn diagram of all these people. It's just one big flat circle. Um, and, and it's kind of frightening. Okay, I interjected and interrupted back to you on, I mean, but this thing sprawls so big. It's, it's, it, it's crazy all the, the facets that are involved here, so. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, that's, and, and that's the thing, like the crack up of this, of this Alabama political consulting firm has, is like revealing the dark secrets of Florida politics. I mean, that is the big story. And, and um, you know, at some point, uh, you know that, that there will be a there will be a kind of way to connect all the dots all at once. But uh, yeah, th these are not just discrete scandals across the state. I mean, they are all connected. And Matrix is a, or I should say, these former Matrix employees are a connective tissue um, to the ghost candidate scandals uh, up and down the peninsula and uh, JEA. 
And so what, what to, to kind of catch us up to where we are. Um, so the Sentinel, some of the records the Sentinel uh, had been leaked uh, last year anonymously uh, involved JEA. And so Jason Garcia at the Sentinel uh, rang me up. Uh, we took a look at these records together. And what we saw was that Matrix, uh, among the, the things these Matrix employees were doing was uh, some stuff related to the JEA sale. So in the summer of 2020, around the time that the CEO of JEA was kind of just beginning to push this this privatization campaign, uh, these former Matrix employees drew up a plan to offer a uh, a lucrative job with a Shell 501c4 they had set up to a member of the Jacksonville City Council. And this job offer was going to come with the contingency that the council member would have to leave the city council to take the job. Matrix concluded in its internal investigation that the point of this was to uh, remove a vocal critic of uh, privatizing JEA from the city council. And the council member they were targeting for this, Garrett Dennis, was indeed a, a vocal opponent of it. Um, he recalled receiving a job offer through an intermediary uh, with remarkable similarity to the plan that, that we saw had been drawn up in the documents. The intermediary who offered uh, Dennis the job recalled had an independent recollection of doing this. Um, even still, Florida Power and Light claims they this idea was brought to them, they shut it down immediately. So there is this mystery about why the job offer was apparently made regardless. Um, so this year, uh, the Sentinel and we start getting more uh, leaked records uh, from anonymous sources. They immediately appear to be of the same flavor of the records that we saw last year. These are internal matrix records. Um, and this time, <laughs> among the documents were records indicating that these matrix employees possess information about me uh, that, that indicates that my, my personal life had been deeply peered into. Uh, one, of the, one of the documents we got was a still photo of my then girlfriend, who is now my wife and I walking our dog uh, in October of 2020. Um, we are, I, I mean, it, it, there's just like no connection to my work whatsoever. We're, we're in like obvious, like leisure clothes, walking our dog. Like that's what this photo is. It's, it's, and Peter, you, you can tell me if you agree, I, like that photo struck me immediately as an obviously surreptitiously taken photo. Like it is a surveillance photo when you look at it. All right. I, I want, I guess one of the things that I want to work back and say, yep. I would love to get, and I don't want I don't want to get close to the sourcing, but what was it like when the Orlando Sentinel calls you? I mean, give us the meta, the the meta analysis, like because that's rare. I mean, you guys are in a sense competitors. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a Sentinel organization or a Tribune organization. You guys are Gannett. Um, it's a rarity in Florida politics, or excuse me, in Florida journalism. Um, did that take long for you all to decide? Was that something? Like, I mean, your editors, I mean, were they hesitant? How did, give us just a little bit of the insight sure. on that without betraying any of the sourcing or anything yeah, sure. like that. Well, so it's funny, between last year and this year, the dynamic has changed a little bit. So these records, these surveillance records were actually leaked to me. Um, and the Sentinel has been getting uh, records on different topics. So the, the leaker, uh, assuming it's a single person, 
is very strategic about what they're leaking. They're, they're leaking things to reporters uh, pertaining to the topics that they're interested in covering, right? Uh, last year, um, I, you know, it happened fairly organically. Like, uh, as you said, Jason Garcia is a, like a top-notch reporter. Um, he and I had just been mutual fans of each other's work for several years and, you know, just kind of would message each other from time to time. Uh, at one, you know, he messaged me at some point uh, and, and we started talking about some of these JEA related documents that they had gotten last year. Um, and it, it, it just sort of, I mean, it's, it actually, there, there's not like a, there's not a, a lot of intrigue behind it. We quickly decided that like pooling our resources together and telling that Garrett Dennis story would be a good idea. I think it was really gracious of the Sentinel to um, like want to partner with us to tell that story. Uh, part of it was just that I had access to some of these Jacksonville sources uh, and, and, you know, what, what might've taken them a couple weeks to put together. I mean, once we had the documents, it took like two days to get this story out the door about this job offer. Um, so there was just kind of a mutual sort of, it was a mutually beneficial relationship and it was just really easy. And so when we started at the same and, time, and, you made also at the same time you were making the trend. And I think this is important for people to understand. You made the transition from reporter mm -hmm. to columnist, right? right. Uh, or about like this, the same period. Yeah. I became a columnist in 19. Yeah. And so um, you know, I'm still, I, I mean, in a lot of ways still, you know, you write a column, like you never really stop like figuring out <laughs> how you want to do it. Um, but I consider myself, you know, sometimes I do these, uh, you know, the more what you would expect kind of traditional column about like DeSantis or whatever, kind of lampooning local officials. But I, I, I very deliberately also, uh, put a lot of effort into a lot of original reporting in my column. I, I like to, sometimes I'm in a position to break news with it and dive deeper into stuff than, than, um, you know, maybe sometimes. It's almost old school. It's uh, like the old school political columnist, more so out of DC, but like the kind of the Howard Troxler's uh, at, at, during his great run at the St. Petersburg times where, you were reading it not for the hot take. The hot take was always going to be there. What you were getting was also original reporting because, quite honestly, I think, you know, you've got this great platform and people will call you up and talk to you about stuff, probably more so maybe even than a reporter. You may have some prominence that um, um, that may not be there, not to take away from anything that a reporter does. But, you know, I think you brought up a good point here. This leaker has an agenda for better or worse. I would doubt that this leaker is like some good government person just out, you know, having, I don't think that they obtained the documents third party. I think that they are, I think that they're settling some scores. I would imagine like any, uh, or like most leakers do that they mm -hmm. are, I bet you they know some stuff that will never come out um, because it may embarrass things or people or ideas that they don't want to see embarrassed. Yeah. Look, I mean, and I don't, I can say that we genuinely do not know who the, the leaker of these records is. We have tried to okay. figure it out and we do not know. And so with that in mind, I, I ordinarily would never, you know, we don't talk about sourcing um, generally. It is a part of the story here because Florida power and light, um, 
you know, is, is very insistent that it knows that the source of our leak is the owner of Matrix, Joe Perkins, um, who Florida Power and Light, not wrongly, believes has a huge bone to pick with their company uh, and with his former CEO, Jeff Pitts, who continued to work with Florida Power and Light for some time after uh, the Matrix breakup. Neither of them work for FPL today. Um, but uh, look, I mean, Perkins filed a lawsuit accusing Pitts of, of uh, you know, doing all of this off the books work. Um, he he calls out Florida Power and Light, not specifically by name, but makes makes an obvious reference to the company in his lawsuit. He does have a bone to pick. Um, if if these leaks are coming from Matrix, uh, they are, you know, it, it is not unreasonable to uh, intuit that like, you know, Perkins, you know, again, like he he's got a bone to pick. I, I don't want to say that he's trying to, to damage FPL because he claims he is not the source of our information. Um, uh, th- this he is does, a, it's a very claim. tangled mess as, as people are probably picking up on. He, he does contend that he is not the source. Yes, he is. He is denied leaking us these records multiple times in the past. Uh, when we interviewed him for this story last week, he would not comment on the allegation. He said he didn't want to talk about how this stuff's getting out into the public realm. He did. He did do something this time that that uh, we have not had previously. The records, the surveillance records, he did authenticate for us on the record in the presence of his lawyer. Uh, the the records that were leaked to us are the records that are in his possession. Okay? I was going to ask you, how do you? All right, since you since you all say you don't uh, know the source, what's the what's the process for authenticating them to for your reader's sake? So there are there, there were things in these records that immediately struck us as um, things that that had to be. It, so you got to you have to keep in mind too. So we have the batch of records that were leaked to the Sentinel last year, right? Which were a lot, like hundreds of pages of records. We start getting these records in in the past few weeks. This new batch of records this year. Um, I, I don't want to get into some of the details because in case we get future leaks, uh, I don't want to um, yep. <laughs> taint the process. But you let me say this. Then I don't even want to go there. I will say you all and your editors feel one hundred percent certain. These documents are authentic and are are trustworthy. What I what we are confident about is that these records are what they appear to be, which are records in the possession of Matrix uh, that Joe Perkins is using to support his litigation and and his this investigative report that he sent to NextEra. That that is what I'm very confident these records are. There are there were when they were leaked to us. There are non-public details about the records, like the way they're formatted, yeah, different like settings on people's phones that are consistent across the documents that we got last year. And keep in mind, like we know that there was good information in those records, right? The job offer to the council member, like Florida Power and Light, acknowledged that that happened. Um, the the stories don't perfectly align because they claim the job offer didn't happen. But the records, you know, we know that there is good information in these records. And likewise, this time we could tell there, there was good information in these records. We were able to corroborate some independent details that immediately told us, even if the leaker is somebody who's doctoring things, they're doctoring things on top of legitimate records. Like there, there, were, there were aspects of, there, there were like a, in an email chain, for example, we were able to track down 
an email part of that was part of that chain. So we knew that like part of this at, at minimum was legitimate, right? Like, so that, that those are the kind of like puzzle pieces yep. we look for. Um, well, then that but, brings us to your, uh, so there's a body yeah. on the ground here. There <laughs> is a picture of you and your now wife, then girlfriend, and clearly a, <laughs> I can't like, I can't, the moment that we all have uh, out on our front yard or our back lawn, um, you all are um, just talking with each other. You're casual. That's part of these files. It's clearly surveillance. Before we get to the details of that, what was that like for you? Like you open that for the first time and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know that guy. <laughs> it's surreal. Um, it was, you know, um, I mean, I think a lot of people can probably imagine this. Like I, I have this, this cache of documents. I have some sense that they're going to be related to stuff I'm really interested in, like JEA, FPL stuff. And I open it up and yet there's a picture of me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it was surreal. It was very odd. Um, I kind of approached my wife about it a little bit sheepishly and sort of saying, do you, <laughs> do you want me to tell you uh, what's going on? Do you want me to show you the picture? Um, so, I mean, in, in, yeah, on some level, obviously like unsettling, weird, um, I, I will say that the timestamp of on the, on the photo indicates it was taken in October of 2020. And so <laughs> one thing that we wow. just were personally amused about is like October of 2020 is deep into the pandemic pre-vaccine. We weren't doing anything. Uh, so it was like probably the worst possible time to be, uh, following us around and photographing us because like, huh. There were days where taking our dog out around 6 p.m. was like the only time we were outside. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, it, it was an eerie thing. Um, and something I immediately recognized we needed to write about. Um, I, you know, this, I mean, I, I do not believe that uh, you have to be clouded by like personal um, outrage to see that surveilling a reporter is just something that's on top of being just really odd and I'm not even sure how it serves a strategic interest. It, I feel like it, it just crosses an obvious line, right? Like this is. I think you have a point there. Like I, I, what did they hope to accomplish? And yeah. I, I, I want to go real quick to where I, cause I, I, I want to commend you on, you did not make the story about yourself yesterday and either did the times union and, I know that there are some who would light their cells on fire. I don't, I'm, I'm literally rereading the story and the tweets and the other uh, accounting of it. In no place are you critical really of Florida Power and Light for, or the or Matrix or anything like that. You're not blaming them. Um, it seems like you're very restrained in your reaction to it publicly, um, number one. But I will say, I want to get right to the dark part of it, the dark, scary part of it, which is there's some conversation where they are tracked, where you are being surveyed and somebody mentions that you, so you had tweeted that you, time to, that you were, it was time to get drunk. It was a, uh, uh, after a football game, you're a human being like everybody else. There's nothing wrong with that. But then subsequent to that, there is, there's conversation between whoever was doing the surveillance saying almost regretfully saying that you were taking an Uber, which 
I know you as a reporter won't jump to the conclusion, but me as a as a non-reporting blogger, whatever, jumps immediately to the conclusion that this was a DUI setup right there, or that that if the, if the opportunity arose, they you know I have seen it done. You know, remember there was a huge case in Tampa uh, about using uh, it was one of it was gubernatorial appointees. Uh, I think it was uh, a doctor, Giacomo. Uh, who was connected to all sorts of political people where they, you know, they had a bad cop that they, you know, they, uh, somebody got the people drunk at a bar and then alerted law enforcement. It was a rogue cop who was ready there and they arrested the person and turned into a whole thing. I think it involved Bubba the Love Sponge and all that stuff, a DJ down here. That's what I thought of immediately when I saw all of this was, this was a setup to get you arrested for driving under the influence or whatever, and then really just fuck up your life as much as possible. Is that what you think? Or am I, am I jumping too far here on the mat of conclusions? I mean, so you're, I think that um, I agree with you that our coverage um, was intended to be what it was, which we, we are writing from, what we know to be true, right? Like we are, we're using these documents. We're trying to be very clear and careful with our sourcing. And even in my, my column, which, you know, of course I have more latitude than, than our reporters do. Um, I, I just, I don't think it serves anyone's interest for me to, to be too far out in front of like what's in the records and what we know. Um, having said that, I do think it is fair to, to detect an undercurrent of hostility uh, in these records. As you said, um, this text exchange, which the record shows between a Matrix employee and a Florida Power and Light vice president. Again, Florida Power and Light denies any involvement in this. They, and they, they claim they cannot find a corresponding record of these texts from this vice president. Um, but they're also not calling this text exchange fake. Um, and I don't believe it is fake. Um, Anyway, yes, like there is this interest in what I'm doing on a Saturday night. My wife and I were in Pensacola. We were at a wedding, a friend's wedding. Um, I have a corresponding Uber receipt uh, that matches the kind of rough time of this conversation, which we talked about corroborating details earlier. That was a major one, right? Like how would yeah. somebody have known I was in an Uber on you know November 19th, 2019? Um, so you know, the, the sad faced emoji attached to this note that I'm in an Uber ride. I mean, it just kind of, it's, it's a little bit like the photo. I think it's sort of self-evident what that is. Um, uh, I mean, I think you can read that at, at face value and, and decide for yourself if you think that there's, there's an undercurrent of hostility, but I think that's a fair interpretation. Um, the, the third bit of documentation we have is also the earliest is in October, 2019, um, like dossier of information. It, it, it looks like somebody ran my name through uh, an incredibly powerful database. Yeah. Swept up my unredacted social security number, uh, my license plate, um, my, like relatives, former neighbors, all of their contact information, like a stunning array of it. Uh, I, I deal with LexisNexis searches. I, I, I have a very good sense of what's available to, to find on people. And this thing goes far beyond what should be available for people to find in, a, in any sort of database. 
you know, I've never been ticketed or arrested in the state of Florida. So my license plate, you, you can't go into the court system and, and get my car details and my, and my, the stuff on my driver's license uh, off of any kind of arrest sheet or, or citation sheet. Uh, I, there's just, I cannot think of a legitimate way that some of that stuff ended up in a database. Um, and the database is described by a matrix employee is uh, indicating that I'm boring. And just like the sad face emoji, I sort of left wondering, what does that mean, right? Like, does boring mean that, you know, because there were no criminal convictions or financial troubles in my past, is that what that was referring to? Um, they looked for them. Uh, so, I, you know, I think those if are- If you're boring, then that makes me the most exciting person in the world to go by there. <laughs> Well, so, I mean, I guess as soon as I read this, I, I, I said it was frightening. I think, um, and you have a great point. I think you tweeted, just uh, reading this tweet, you said, pulling resources among our Florida publications was incredibly helpful and would continue to be vital as we unpack more. And there is more uh, on the crack up of an Alabama political consulting firm. I, I don't want to I don't want to uh, ruin the Marvel Cinematic Universe of what you've got <laughs> planned here, but I will say, I don't think you were the only reporter surveyed. I mean, I, 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 I'm waiting for you to tell me that the rest of the Florida Times Union, because and this is something that I've, uh, this is ridiculous that I'm saying this, but I, I one time told a private company, I said, well, why don't you just buy the Tampa Bay Times? Uh, if you're having so much issue for you, they're in debt. You might have to just absorb the debt, take that as a charge off. What would your stock price increase? Two or three dollars a share immediately if they never wrote about your issues again? I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. But the point of this is these are multi-billion dollar decisions. And surveilling Nate Monroe and his girlfriend is a $25,000 investment knocking you out of the game, maybe as a $100,000 investment if they had gotten you that night, what the return on investment on losing the prominent columnist blocking the sale or, you know, recover or covering the, the, the sale of this public utility, it, it, that's, that's, that's pocket change to these people, correct? I mean, am I, am I wrong to assume that as well? So, in a hypothetical world where a multi-billion dollar company decided that this was in their best interest to do, like, sure. Um, I, again, like, I want to be clear that like what the specific stuff we're talking about, Florida Power and Light denies it. And, you know, I, the, the stuff in our story needs to kind of be the underlying facts there. But yeah, like your hypothetical, I would agree with you. It would seem like a small investment that could in some way pay off. Sure. I can see that. I mean, if you're a lawyer, this is the Pelican Brief. This is a John Grisham novel. Um, now, FPL does strenuously object to this. And it brings me to, I thought, I don't want to say it was underreported. There was just so many interesting nuggets. So Eric Syllogy, the head of FPNL, flew to the newsroom of the Florida Times Union. How did that go down? Was that the first time he had come in there? Had you guys interviewed him before? But I mean, you got photographs. I don't remember seeing uh interaction between you all and him before what was what was that like i mean you're talking about one of the 10 most powerful people if i'm doing influence 10 on the cover of my magazine he's on it um what was that like 
Yeah. So um, I probably have not interviewed him in years. I mean, he came in for an editorial board meeting maybe in 2018. Um, and it was probably the last time I've talked to him, uh, period, in person or otherwise. Um, yeah. So we reached out to them with questions uh, about the surveillance records and they got back to us and said, hey, um, he's going to be in town uh, tomorrow, would, would you like to talk to him? And, you know, you guys can sit in on it and, and if anyone else wants to go ahead and like to their credit, look, we came back and said, Hey, that's great. Uh, we're, we're having a, we'll have an Orlando Sentinel reporter here too. Um, we'll probably have some other folks call in. And so all in all, it was five of us interviewed, uh, Eric for, uh, two hours, 15 minutes. I think, uh, we talked about a lot of stuff, uh, the surveillance records. We talked about the substance of some other leak records that we have. Um, we talked about JEA more broadly. Um, and so to their credit, I mean, that's a rare thing. And uh, I do think that that indicated they were taking the stuff seriously. Um, I think that the substance of the interview, uh, I, I, I would maybe give them a little bit less credit for the substance of, of the interview and some of the things that they some of the explanations that they had for us. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a remarkable thing. And I was surprised that they agreed to it. Uh, and again, like, I, I think it was good for them to do that uh, and important. But um, yeah, if people read my column, I mean, I think they can get a sense of like some of the what I thought were some of the significant kind of takeaways from that interview. Um, okay, I want I, I you've got a newborn. Uh, so I don't want to keep you for too much sure. longer. Um, any hint of where this goes next? I mean, is it something immediate? Are we going to, should I be, I mean, should I be opening up the Florida Times Union Monday morning? Um, well, Peter, everyone should be opening everybody, up. Everybody should be subscriber. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, where does this go from here? Well, I, so what I don't want to do is overpromise. Uh, we we have records that, that, um, that touch on other issues. There are some more JEA records we have. There are more, I would say, records in the ghost candidate realm that, that I'll, I'll not be taking the lead on. That'll be more like the Orlando Sentinel show and, and Floodlights show. Um, but I, I do want to say, I mean, one thing we have to do is, is dot our I's and cross our T's before we get any of this stuff into print, right? The surveillance stuff took, you know, a few weeks um, and we have to kind of go through that same process with any of these other batches of records that we report on. So we're trying to be careful and I, I don't want to overpromise and say, you know, look, there may be records we have that, that we feel ultimately are not strong enough uh, on their own to, to write about. So I, some of the, some of that reporting is still stuff we're, we're going through and doing. Uh, last question. Have you retained counsel maybe for, uh, I, 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 let me, I, this is like a natural journalism question. Have you retained counsel with the idea of possibly pursuing litigation against whoever surveyed you, invaded your privacy, et cetera? Um, let me think about how to answer this question. Not because I have some, not yeah. because this is an interesting answer. Uh, so like just Gannett, our parent company has attorneys. And so like, I right. just, my journalism interests are always represented, uh, just so that's clear. Yeah. Um, I am not interested in that and I don't have any, like the, any personal side of it or whatever. I, I don't, um, that's like, just not something I've, 
I, I look at this as a, as a story like any other that I'm working on and reporting out. And I happen to be a little bit more in the middle of this than is typical, but I don't, I, I guess an answer to your question is like, I just don't view this as any different than, than other really interesting things that I'm working on that I, you know, that I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with. So yeah, I don't anticipate that, uh, <laughs> I'll be filing any litigation or, or whatever over that. That's, that's not something I've, I've really thought about. Okay. Uh, I'm going to hold you for three minutes here and yeah. get some rapid fire political analysis because sure. when you're not writing about JEA, when you're not writing about how horrible the Jaguars are, um, there's just, you're, you're another, you're another columnist working in the fire hose that is Florida politics that never, uh, seems to enter, uh, never seems to slow down. Um, did Roe versus Wade being overturned, does that change the governor's race or is Ron DeSantis still on an 80 to 90% trajectory of being reelected? Yeah, I, I am just reluctant to think that there is much that is going to change the dynamic in that race. Roe v. Wade might be in the bucket of things that possibly could. I honestly have not had time to process the enormity of that fully, um, just because, as you noted, all this other stuff broke yesterday. Um, I, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a more dangerous topic than is typical for him, I think. But um, I, I just I, I he is he is a strong incumbent. There is no denying that, and he's going to have so much money. I just I'm skeptical, <laughs> skeptical of Florida Democrats generally. Um, I guess going back to the JEA thing, one of the names you really didn't mention here is Lenny Curry, uh, outgoing mayor of Florida's largest city, you know, was on a trajectory, maybe to statewide office, man, the star seems to have really come off of him over the last year or so. Some of it's self-inflicted, but just maybe it's a lack of momentum, but it seems like his time is kind of coming to an end whether he likes it or not, there's not really, he can't run for Congress or he chose not to run for Congress. John Rutherford is one representative from the area. He's not going anywhere. He did not pursue the open congressional seat that got uh, redrawn into there. Is he, is, is the light dimming there on the Lenny Curry political career for a while? I, I do think for a while, um, and, and as you said, I think for reasons that are self-inflicted, but also reasons that are, like something I was a skeptic of the idea that Lenny was going to run for this new congressional seat from the beginning, because um, he has told people for years around him that he was not interested in running for Congress. Um, and I also think that there are a lot of theories about like the CFO position. I, I do think one thing in the mix there was that he ultimately did not was not as passionate about it, I think, as maybe people around him were. Um, in, in terms of getting that job. So some of it is himself and some of it is just that being the mayor of Jacksonville is a really fucking hard job. You are dealing with hardcore problems that are very entrenched, uh, that don't have easy answers, that don't lend themselves to this DeSantian right left parlor game. I mean, he, and he's, you know, he's raised the gas tax. He's um, embraced uh, like gay rights in a way that I think uh, would would be difficult for him in a Republican primary. I mean, I just I, I do think he's taken some some tough positions as mayor. Um, and that's not a criticism. I mean, that's like some of those things are really it's good that he's done some of those things. Uh, 
and then yeah, the JEA stuff. I, I mean, it, it's just it's not a good it's not a good cocktail of factors for him right now. There was a moment too, and they would all deny it when he was trying to get some separation between him and DeSantis at the early part of the pandemic. Uh, you know, we would talk about the Florida mayors who were doing what DeSantis was not doing. And it would be a group of Democrats and Lenny Curry. And mm-hmm. and now that quickly got squashed. And, you know, the next time Ron DeSantis is in town, Lenny will be, you know, glued to his hip. But there was a moment there uh, where there was a little bit of separation. Um, I think I, I mean, I think Aaron Bean's on his way to Congress out of the new congressional district. Any reason not to think that at this point? Not really. You know, Tony Hill is the Democrat running for that seat. And honestly, he's probably I mean, he's probably the best candidate the Democrats could hope for. He's, you know, tied in with the longshoremen. He's got a lot of connections and and uh, can can sort of has got a little bit of a political machine going for him. But I mean, I, that's a that seat is what a less than 10, more than five yeah. Trump seat. I mean, that's just, that's a lot to overcome, particularly in this environment. I don't, yeah, I think Bean's got it, got it on lock. I thought, all right, so Friday morning, uh, I thought I had the big Jacksonville scoop with uh, Donna Deegan, who is the Democrat, the leading Democrat running for Jacksonville mayor. Well, I guess Audrey Gibson would technically probably be Nonetheless, the the biggest fundraiser, she returned a $25,000 contribution to Andrew Gillum's political committee that he had, she had just taken in, or political organization. Um, mayor's race in Jacksonville is 2023, probably going to be one of the biggest races in the country at that point. And this one's really going to be wide open. I mean, you've got Donna Deegan, Audrey Gibson, state senator, you've got... Um, Leanne Cumber, who is a well-funded Republican, and Daniel Davis. I, is there, I have just been hearing there's a little bit of chatter that Daniel Davis may not actually end up pulling the trigger. Am I crazy there? Or is that just other people, my other sources in Jacksonville whispering my ear about that? Um, how does that race, how is that, what is the state of that race right now as we get into summer? Yeah. I mean, anything is possible. So I'm not going to foreclose any possibility fully. I I will say that I think that that's wishful thinking. Um, Daniel Davis has wanted to be the mayor since he was a kid. Um, (laughs) And I mean, he will, he tells people that, you know? Um, So, I mean, I I have a hard time seeing that. I I think that um, I I understand the logic that people are making about it. I just don't believe it. Um, I think he wants it. And I think he'll get in, you know, late summer or fall. Um, I think he is easily the front runner, just almost by default. Um, But I also three or four million dollars already raised into a political committee. Yeah. The the Republican establishment um, uh, and the Curry wing of the Republican establishment firmly behind him. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, but, you know, that mayor's races in Jacksonville are um, can be very messy and complicated. And, you know, we, we have a, essentially a jungle primary uh, that, that determines uh, the, the two top vote getters, assuming no one gets over 50 percent, and then they advance to a head to head runoff. So it there is a lot that can happen. This is a weird field. Um, and, I, you know, handicapping that race is just like not something I can do. It, it's still far away. Um, so, I, you know, it's 
Jacksonville politics are weird, man. <laughs> it's like Jacksonville. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Last question. What yeah. is one thing you have learned since becoming a, a new father? Oh, wow. That's a good question. That's the question that stumps you. I, I just stumped the, the A-list journalist with a question about fatherhood. Good. I feel good about that one. <laughs> well, there's, there, <laughs> there is a lot. Uh, you know, one thing I complained about this uh, on Twitter the other day, <laughs> the, the um, fact that you have to be so meticulous about drying things like these bottles that have these little parts <laughs> that you have to like, I feel like we, the, the logistics of drying like breast pumps and bottles has like runs our day in a way that I just like never really uh, could have possibly anticipated. That's, you are, uh, yeah. That is, I, you know what, you're the first person to say that and you're absolutely correct. I'm just thinking about what our counter looked like. You just had all these like they, it looks like kind of like grass. They got yep. the, like the thin spikes and you like, you put all the bottles on there and you just got, you just got platforms to dry stuff everywhere. Yep. Just because God forbid they get one iota of old formula. It's just, you know, the, uh, the whole system breaks down. So, yep. all right, yeah. well, cool. That is, that is a great point. <laughs> Insightful on all topics. If you want to follow uh, Nate, he's at, at Nate Monroe to you, your column runs Tuesdays and uh, to God, man, I've got that wrong. Thursdays, mostly and Tuesdays, <laughs> <laughs> Thursdays and Sundays, <laughs> Thursdays and Sundays in the yeah. Jacksonville Times Union. Um, I appreciate you coming on and giving us time on Saturday. Yeah, um, and uh, thanks for coming on Hunkering Down, man. Yeah, thanks for having me.